All right. Let's rock and roll here. Hey, everybody. This is Harvey Slugo Wasserman back with you for the 145th Green Grassroots Emergency Election Protection Coalition. Zoom call for those of you in radio land who can't see. I forgot to shave today, so I look like I just came off the street, but here we are. Uh, we are going to devote the first hour to um, uh, of our, our call in it, the hour that you will hear on the Progressive Radio Network to nuclear issues. Uh, Oppenheimer still does landmark uh, land office business, and uh, there are some been some very thoughtful comments come out about it. We're going to start with the great Dennis Bernstein, the host of uh, the KPFA um, Flashpoint Show, which is syndicated nationwide, to talk about uh, a couple of issues relating to radiation in Hanford from there. Um, Linda Seeley will join us hopefully from the Mothers for Peace to talk about Diablo Canyon. We are on the last roundup at Diablo Canyon, very big deal. We're joined by um, uh, Carl Grossman, who has a lot of, lot of history with the nuclear issue. Want to talk about Zaporizhia, uh, uh, the most terrifying situation on the earth. And I, as far as I'm concerned, uh, the danger at Zaporizhia is the worst danger that we faced for nuclear disaster since the Cuban Missile Crisis. And uh, since Carl is, is the only one other than me old enough to remember it on this call, we uh, I want to ask him about that too. On the second hour, we're going to deal with Ohio. The wonders never cease from Ohio. There's now a court case up at the U Ohio Supreme Court trying to prevent the uh, referendum on abortion rights from this November. I kind of hope that they don't get it this November. I wish it was, I would prefer to have it in November of 24, but we'll talk about that. And Julie Weiner from uh, New York is gonna tell us uh, really important stuff going on in New York state right now in terms of voting, voting machines, all that stuff. We're also gonna be joined by Greg Simler, uh, who has developed a way to uh, capture energy from pipes, from water pipes. I'm really interested to hear that as opposed to hookers, of course. There's another form of energy that comes from hookers, but that's that's a different story. I see Greg Schwartz with us. Uh, uh, Greg, good to see you. Um, um, you've got tons to talk about as well. And if anybody goes into a psychotic attack, we have Dr. Nancy Naparco to help take care of you uh, uh, with her, her counseling um, and other things. So we start with 42 people. Um, uh, it, is, it is great to see everybody as always. I want to um, announce, and I haven't told anybody else, but uh, uh, we will not meet next week. We're going to, for the next um, uh, few weeks, we're going to go every other week because it is August and many of you actually are on vacation and not, not near Zoom. So we will not meet August 6th. We will meet August 14th. We won't meet August 21st. We will meet the 28th. And we won't meet the following uh, week, which is September something because uh, I believe that's on Labor Day, so um, or close to it. So anyway, for the next few weeks, we're going to go every other week, and we won't meet next week, okay? Um, uh, just to give everybody a bit of a rest. We will be back in full force in November, so uh, or September, rather, so uh, prepare for that, please. And at that point, we're going to be in a major, major uh, war in California, a nonviolent war, uh, over Diablo Canyon, the nuclear plant there. I'm actually getting ready, uh, getting packed up and getting my supplies to spend another few nights in the San Luis Obispo County Jail. Uh, in 1984, 
um, I was among the last groups to go into Diablo Canyon and get arrested there trying to prevent it from going online. And uh, this coming October, they will be refueling at Diablo Canyon. They will be shut and we wanna keep them shut. So uh, we'll talk about that more when, when the CUA joins us. But let's start with Dennis Bernstein. Um, there's a very excellent column which literally just came out uh, in the LA Times, like uh, within the last hour by an excellent columnist named Michael Hiltzig. And uh, Steve, I think I sent you the link um, uh, about um, some of the stuff untold at the, uh, at the, in the Oppenheimer story. Um, you have to remember the bad guy in the Oppenheimer movie, uh, worth seeing at three hours, um, uh, but the bad guy is Louis Strauss, who was the uh, first head of the Atomic Energy Commission and who was responsible for the phrase too cheap to meter when he was pushing nuclear power. I, I debated his granddaughter in Cleveland in the 80s, and she claimed he never said it, but we, he didn't. We were smoking guns all over the place and say he did say it. Um, um, but th there's another great column about that movie, which is in the New York Times, written by a woman who grew up downwind of the Trinity test. And, you know, there's nothing in this movie about, oh, there's my piece. Uh, I have a piece up now, just went up today at Truthout. And thank you, Truthout, for publishing it, called How the Nuclear Renaissance Robs and Roasts Our Earth. So uh, go to truthout.org and check out my, my piece there. I've sent it around the internet and um, uh, it talks about why we really uh, are not gonna go nuclear. This piece, and I'll segue from here into Dennis, uh, this piece, a guest essay in yesterday's New York Times is written by a woman who grew up just downwind from Trinity. Tina Cordova is her name. And uh, she talks about the cancer that was spread by the fallout from Trinity. Now, if you, if you see the Oppenheimer movie, they never mention the radioactive fallout. And they show a picture there's a very famous picture of, of, of Oppenheimer standing at ground zero with Leslie Groves, who is the real chief of the Manhattan Project. Uh, and, and if they had been standing there, I mean, they were standing there. It was the worst place on earth to be at that moment, at least till they dropped the bombs on Hiroshima and Nagasaki. And, uh, you know, never talks about it. Now, Dennis uh, did a great investigative piece on Hanford, which was another part of the Manhattan Project. Never talk about the radiation that came out of there, but Dennis, you've got some hair-raising stories. If you wanna give us five or 10 minutes on what you saw first person at Hanford, I think it'll be, and I'm sure Carl and many others are familiar with it, but man, we were talking about it earlier today. It's terrifying. Tell us some of the realities, if you would, uh, about what went on in Hanford because of the radiation that does not appear in the Oppenheimer movie. Well, let me first say that um, it Hanford represented the first full-scale plutonium production reactor in the world, and it produced Fat Man, which was dropped on Nagasaki. But the bomb is still being dropped on the people who live around the plant, along the Columbia River, the indigenous communities, I will tell the story of one family that lives downwind because it tells the whole story. 
And by the way, they're still cleaning up. And the, and I, I think there needs to be a sequel called The Bomb That Is Still Exploding uh, because Hanford is still killing people. They still talk about the cleanup in 2003. I went there in 1987 with a photographer from Pacific, uh, Pacific News Service and also I was representing Pacifica Radio. And I want to tell you about the Perks, the Perks family. By the way, Hanford is right on the Columbia River. So all its releases went into the river and then downriver to all the indigenous, uh, to impact all the indigenous communities that use the Columbia River to stay alive. So everybody got sick. Now, the, the, the downwinders at, uh, at Hanford were an extraordinary crew. And by the way, a lot of them came there because they got cheap land. The government gave them a bargain as a way of coming and working and killing themselves and their family. They got cheap land. Betty Perks, who started out a social worker, and became a hospice nurse. Her son, her daughter, and her husband died of cancer from the releases of from Hanford. When I got there, it was an extraordinary situation. Her son, her husband had already died, and both her children were sick. Her daughter was in the hospital dying of cancer. And I sat in her living room and her daughter's parakeet was chirping. So this is on the recording that I did for Pacifica Radio. And we had a photographer to take pictures. And also when I got there, one of the things that brought me there was that there was a scientist named Norm Buskey, Norm Buskey, who was uh, sort of um, harvesting the flowers across from the the Columbia River, right across from the mouth of the river, where joggers by the dozens would jog every day. And he was collecting, uh, he was making nuclear jelly that he was, he sent, ultimately, he attempted to send to the governor to explain that the joggers walking by, uh, you wanted to, maybe one of their daughters wanted to pick a little flower. They were being nuked by the flowers. Also, we went on the river on a beautiful Sunday afternoon where there were guards uh, who were off duty, they were fishing because they said the fishing was best right at the mouth of the river. Nobody told them that they were gonna die from their fishing rods. Betty Perks, who as, who, as I said, became went from social worker to a hospice nurse, told me some horrific stories about not being able to find out what was going on at the plant. And one of the things that she said to me is she, the pilots, they regularly, they knew everything that was going on. By the way, we, we have to say that the, the, the bomb that was built at Hanford was, you know, was a test. They didn't need to drop the second bomb on Nagasaki, but that was the plutonium bomb. You know, you had the uranium bomb for Hiroshima and the plutonium bomb for Nagasaki. So it was a test to see how each bomb worked or didn't work. 
Anyway, Betty Perks told me the story about how she used to be out in the yard playing with her kids and her kids would be waving the pot. There were regular flights overhead with pilots that were measuring the air. And obviously they were tracking the release of, of the various nuclear materials that were impacting the environment. But everybody who got that cheap land got sick. Just about everybody got sick and many died from just living there on the, on the bargain land that they got because they also worked at, uh, at Hanford. But Petty, Betty Perks told me this touching story about how she would be out there with her kids and the planes, the monitoring planes would be flying overhead and her kids would be waving to the pilots, hi, hi, how are you, what's going on? And she could never understand while the pilots never waved back and were never smiling. Of course, she later learned they weren't smiling because the pilots knew that there was sort of a slow motion mass murder taking place, that the bomb that was dropped on Nagasaki was still exploding. And I went from person to person on that, what they called the death mile, to hear one story after another, just like Betty Perks. And I remember I, I, would be, I was sitting there listening and her, packet, her parakeet was chirping. And she was saying, you know, she's saying to me, she's an extremely religious woman. And she was saying to me, Dennis, I learned there was a man who said we have to forgive. And God said we had to forgive. And I lived my whole life deeply religious. And then she broke down and she said, I will never forgive, never, ever be able to forgive these folks who knew they were killing us, who were measuring the air, and they didn't tell us. And believe me, we interviewed people in the, it's still, the reactors are still going. It is still killing people. And the we, we went there. I mean, you can't, it's, what is it, six? What, I don't, how, how, what is it, 600 square miles? Essentially, it's monstrosorous, whatever the word is. And you go there and you see the storage, the amount of nuclear waste that they will, ne they still don't know what to do with it. So here is again, the nature of nukes. This is a bomb that was dropped on Nagasaki that's still exploding. That's about my story, Harv. I don't hear you. Did you hear me? Okay, there you go. No, I heard everything you said, but I was muted. Um, uh, well, you know, uh, Josh Frank has a book called Atomic Days just came out about Hanford. I would never go anywhere near Hanford. I mean, my God. Uh, well, but somebody right, had to, I went there with a the photographer because I wanted yeah. people to see how impossible it would be to clean up that area. And they haven't. It is still and forevermore deadly to the Tri-Cities and everybody in the indigenous communities that live down, down, down river that still fish in it are still dying from it. 
Well, you know, the Manhattan District was called the Manhattan, the Manhattan Project. There was a facility in Manhattan at Columbia University. There was a, an atomic pile at University of Chicago where I went and saw it. I was there in 19, um, I've said, when was it? Uh, uh, 90, no, uh, 67 or 68, they unveiled a, a Henry Moore statue sculpture for commemorating the first atomic reaction. It looked like a skull. There were, there's uh, two facilities. I uh, know there were four facilities in Ohio. There was one in St. Louis, uh, Rocky Flats in Colorado. I mean, all these places are still, that were feeding in to the production of the atomic bomb are still very radioactive and deadly. But and you know, you know, can I just say one more yeah. thing? You know how they, they, it was amazing how they sold this to the community, to the Tri-Cities. Everything was a celebration of atomic. There were the atomic bowling alleys. Oh, right, radioactive bowling. Every, well, you every, also mentioned- every, You're right. kind of breaking up there, Dennis. You, you mentioned that Nagasaki was completely unnecessary. You know, the, the, the bombing, the, the film has brought out the debate again of whether the, the bombing Hiroshima or Nagasaki were necessary at all. And you have to remember that the, the military still refers to both bombings, Hiroshima and Nagasaki, officially as announced nuclear tests. That's what they are, announced nuclear tests. And, uh, and they preserved Hiroshima and Nagasaki and a couple of other cities without saturation bombing because they wanted to know when they had dropped the atomic bomb, what the damage would be. And so they could get great aerial photographs, which they did. You know, all these aerial photographs you see of what Nag his Hiroshima and Nagasaki looked like, that was the point. They wanted, to, you know, uh, uh, among other things. And as I mentioned also, Dennis, as you know, Jimmy Burns, who was Eisenhower, uh, Truman's chief advisor, told him that he had to drop the bombs, no matter what the military situation, because they'd spent $2 billion on them. And what would the people say? He said, if you don't Absolutely. drop the bombs, you'll get impeached. Because, you know, no matter what the military situation, and they made up this thing about how we would have had to invade, we wouldn't have had to invade. Japan was trying to. Uh, surrendered because uh, primarily because they didn't want to have the Russians on their soil. But when push came to shove, they wanted the Americans. They wanted to surrender to us. And they surrendered to us, not to the Russians who were about to come in. Anyway, it's a long, you know, it's the same. And, and one other thing, Harv, I, 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 and we really need to follow up on this. My partner is Japanese. And that community, I'm not going to represent that community. We have to, they need to be put in. But that the situation there, the movie is not popular in the, in the, in the community. And I, I want to tell you that finally, I did a doc. I, you, Dennis, you're breaking up your, your, your microphone. It's not right. And now you're frozen. Well, let me say, since you mentioned the Japanese community, that um, the, the military denied 
in the beginning that there were any radioactive problems. And, uh, I, I keep disappearing. I don't know why. Yeah, go I, ahead. I did a half hour program. It won the National Art of Peace Award. It was called The Road from Hiroshima. It was based on black rain. And once you read through that and what happened on the ground when those bombs were dropped and the implications for generations after, you could never forgive the bombers. Never. Yeah, right. And, and um, even Eisenhower said that bombs shouldn't have been dropped. He was quite, quite clear on that, actually. Um, that he didn't think that, he called them that off, called it that awful thing and said that the Japanese, as other people knew on the inside, the Japanese were trying to um, uh, surrender. There is a better movie about the Manhattan Project than Oppenheimer. It's called The Day After Trinity. Yes. Look it up, The Day After Trinity, yes. a very yes. powerful film. So, Dennis, is Thank there anything you. else you wanted to say? No, that, just that if you want to hear this documentary I did, uh, I believe it's still available uh, on one of the public radio syndicators. It's called The Road from Hiroshima. It's a book-length poem written by Mark Kaminsky, and we dramatized it for national radio. And it really gives you a sense of the horror and the tragedy of what happened after that bomb was dropped on Hiroshima. Thank okay, you. Okay, thank you. Thank you, Dennis. Your program, again, is uh, Flashpoints on KPFA, nationally syndicated. You're a national treasure. We really appreciate having you on. So thanks Thank again. And people catch this show. It's sometimes in, in LA. It should be it should be every day at five o'clock in LA, as far as I'm concerned, on KPFK, but that's believe me, another story. Um we're now joined, we're we're jumping in now to uh Diablo Canyon. And I, I we have the great Linda Sui with us from the Mothers for Peace. And uh, I have to tell you all, the biggest, as I say, the most dangerous thing going on on Earth today is the, the mess at Zaporizhia, the six reactors and six fuel pools that are under military uh, stress uh, in the Ukraine war. Uh, the Russians uh, marched in there about a year, a little over a year ago, and the place is in chaos and very, I mean, beyond dangerous. So uh, we're circulating a petition I'll talk about it again in a few minutes. We're circulating a petition to uh, uh, have the United Nations make Zaporizhia a de demilitarized zone and to take over full operation of those reactors. And, you know, uh, uh, I don't see an alternative. It is as dangerous, as far as I'm concerned, as the Cuban Missile Crisis was. But um, in the meantime, we're dealing with the Abel Canyon. We have um, um, the two reactors at um, nine miles west of San Luis Obispo on the central California coast. And we're joined by Linda Seeley of the Mothers for Peace. We are entering the, 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 um, the red zone on Diablo Canyon because uh, it will shut, unit one will shut for refueling in October. And we are desperate to keep it from reopening. Um, the setting for refueling, there are tons of issues. Uh, Linda Seeley, can you, uh, run us through where we're at with this and put your particulars in the chat so that uh, people will know where how to contact you. Linda? Linda Seeley, you with us here? 
But don't see her. No, we lose her. She's her, uh, her name is actually under Sluggo. There's two Sluggos here. So maybe if she renames herself. Oh, okay. Well, Linda, can you I, I think I sent her my link. Uh so is that preventing her from getting on? You uh thanks, Harvey. I was um muted. I couldn't unmute, but now okay, I'm so for those of you who are confused, Linda Siwe is not Sluggo Wasserman. Uh, she's next to me on the screen here. Um, uh, but go ahead, Linda. Okay. Thanks a lot for inviting me on, um, Harvey. The yeah, you like you said, the unit one reactor vessel is going down this they say this fall. We think it's in October for a refueling. Um, and when it goes down, um PGE needs to uh test. The, well, the thing of it is, is that the, the Unit 1 reactor vessel back in 2002 was declared by the NRC to be one of the five most embrittled reactor vessels in the whole fleet of reactors. And that means that if there were an emergency, if the plant were running, there was an emergency like a maybe an um, earthquake, tsunami, uh, somebody, an error by one of the operators, uh, an act of malfeasance by somebody, and they had to put the reactor into cold shutdown, meaning shut it down real quick. The way they do it is they dump uh, cold water into it. And the problem with this reactor vessel is that it's brittle, meaning blowing up, which would be the worst kind of accident that you can have in a nuclear power plant. There is no remediation for that. So um, um, well, let's explain in, in detail, Linda, you're going in and out, but um, yeah, sorry. Well, no, it's not your fault. Uh, what would that every atomic reactor? We may have been through this before, but everybody needs to know this because this is a. And many of you are in California, but uh, Diablo Canyon is situated uh, directly at the midpoint of the West Coast, more or less. And um, if there's, God forbid, a major radiation release at Diablo Canyon, it will go all over in North America. I mean, that's the last place you want a, an upwind atomic disaster is in the central central California coast. So every atomic reactor has in a chain reaction going on with radioactive fuel put in arrays. And in the middle of the, uh, uh, surrounding those arrays, containing those arrays is a, a, a metal, um, uh, it's actually stainless steel or various alloys um, that uh, is to contain and and keep those arrays stable. Now, if the the problem is, if the um, uh, if there's an accident, as Linda has mentioned, there the braking system on a, uh, on a nuclear power plant is ridiculously crude. I mean, you've got this 570 degree radioactive fire burning inside this metal containment, and if God forbid. They, it's, it gets out of control. What they do is, it, well, they lower, they try and roll, lower control rods. And if that doesn't work, they have to dump in water. 
for God's sakes. It's ridiculous. And if the, if the containment, the re reactor pressure vessel is embrittled, and, and it gets embrittled because of the heat, the radiation, and the pressure that come year after year on these metals. And, and, after, and Diablo is going to be 40 years old next year, the unit one, and then unit two the year after. And after 40 years of radioactive heat, ra radiation, and pressure, they lose their resilience, these pressure vessels, of which there are two at Diablo Canyon. And if they dump water on these embrittled uh, reactor pressure vessels, they will shatter. And if they shattered, as Linda has mentioned, you're gonna get a steam explosion, you're gonna get hydrogen, and you may even get nuclear fission, which we think happened at Fukushima Unit 3. If you look at the pictures, Unit 3 had a mushroom cloud. So Linda, how does this play out now in terms of regulation and in terms of legal action? Okay, but as everybody is probably aware, um, the California legislature ordered that PG&E keep Diablo Canyon open for an additional five years after the licenses expire. Unit one license is ready to expire next year. <clears throat> PG&E is applying for a 20-year license extension for both units um, up to 2044 and 2045. We have to check, they, they have not checked this reactor vessel since 2002 um, to see how embrittled it is. And they have gotten excuses or um, uh, uh, um, what are they called? When they have applied to the, the NRC to get an exemption for doing the tests that they're supposed to do, and they have not done them. So Mothers for Peace is holding their feet to the fire on this particular issue with getting the testing done that is required by PG, I mean, by the NRC's own rules. The, the NRC is such a complicit um, regulatory agency with the, with the uh, industry that it is supposedly regulating that basically no matter what a an operator of a nuclear plant asks for, they will be granted their wish. And that's what's happening at Diablo Canyon. And we absolutely cannot allow this to go on um, after um, to for it to go on after it's supposed to shut down. And it should be shut down today, by the way, Harvey, because it's dangerous today. It's not like it's going to suddenly turn dangerous in a, in a year. It's been out of compliance for a long time, and we don't even know how long it's been out of compliance, at least since 2021 and probably longer. But the way that people can help is by participating in the CPUC hearings that are going to be going on throughout the upcoming months. The, the California Public Utilities Commission cannot make any decisions based on safety at um at a nuclear power plant, because the safety issues are um, under the remit of the NRC, the captive um, agency. But the CPUC is responsible for making sure that the 
that the ratepayers and taxpayers of California don't get ripped off again by PG&E by allowing that because the only way that you can fix this vessel that is embrittled is by I won't even go into it. It's a process called annealing, which is extraordinarily expensive, or replacing the vessel, which, by the way, was built in 1967, that vessel. Um, And the particular metals that it's made out of, they realized that they had put too much copper into that vessel when they were manufacturing it. Copper gets brittle um, with uh, neutron um, bombardment. And so they they realized it after they had put it online and then uh, they didn't do anything about it because it's so expensive to replace um, a reactor vessel. And they're just hoping and praying, I guess, that it doesn't have to go into cold shutdown and that it doesn't explode when they when it goes into cold shutdown but everybody every single human being in california and all the plants and all the animals could be dramatically affected if god forbid that extraordinarily dangerous reactor vessel would go up into smithereens whoa that, that's just the beginning of it we have 70 people with us linda and now a mother's for peace um, the other thing people can do, of course, is to support your legal action uh, on Diablo Canyon. Can you tell us uh, what, what your campaigns? Uh, you and I both, by the way, uh, did did time in the San Luis Obispo County Jail, and uh, we're talking about the possibility we're going to have to do it again. But prior to that, what um, what is the Mothers for Peace doing in the legal framework, and how can you be supported? Okay, we have hired six expert witnesses that have given testimony in at the California Public Utilities Commission. Um, we have a seismic expert who testified that the that the data that they're using for the seismic analysis at Diablo Canyon is outdated and um, needs to be revised. PG&E has a pass on doing that from um the nrc however the cpuc could order it because that's part of the senate bill 846 it's included in there that there are updated seismic studies so we have a an illustrious um seismic expert who says that the two faults that run directly under diablo canyon are probably what they call thrust faults which means that if god forbid there is an earthquake on them, they don't go. the The mo- ground motion is not sideways; it's up and down. That would go. And when you have an up and down ground motion, it causes a lot more damage than a sideways earthquake. So we've got that. We have an analyst named Mark Cooper, um, who, uh, and another one called uh, Rao. Uh, I cannot ever remember his last name, but they are saying um, in their testimony that we don't need Diablo Canyon. You know, that's the big thing that um, that Gavin Newsom is pushing. Oh, we need Diablo Canyon to keep us from having um, uh, brownouts during the summertime. Well, we do not. In fact, Diablo Canyon impedes 
the um, addition of new uh, renewables onto the grid because Diablo Canyon takes up so much room on the grid. Um, number three, we have um, a, an expert witness who talks about the prudence of, re, of keeping this antiquated, outmoded um, behemoth online. And that he is the former um, director of the Public Utilities Commission in both uh, New York and Maine. And he says no. And he's also a former NRC commissioner. Um, and he says, no, it is imprudent for the state of California to spend these billions of dollars in this way to keep this thing going. And last, um, we have an expert who talks about that because PG&E was planning on closing down Diablo Canyon ever since 2016, they put a lot of projects on the back burner. Um, and they um, the, uh, uh, projects for fixing it up and a capital pun uh, projects and so on. So they have to go back and take care of all of those projects that they put on the back burner back in 2016. And that is going to cost a hell of a lot of money. So we have an expert who is testifying about the ridiculousness of um of spending all this money, you know, it's like putting all your money into a 67 jalopy and thinking it's going to take you into the future, you know? Um, so anyway, that that's, a, that's what Mothers for Peace is doing. And by the way, all this costs a ton of money. And so we're fundraising like crazy because we have to pay all these experts. They don't volunteer their time. Although Mothers for Peace ourselves, we are a completely volunteer organization. So, but we we are spending a lot of money on our lawyers and on these expert witnesses. So if anybody, any of you happen to know somebody who has a lot of money and they want to save the state of California, we would gladly accept their tax deductible donation anytime. Well, put your uh, links in the chat there and you okay. are going into the court system. I will put in a couple of things here. First of all, in 1991, um, there was a reactor in Western Mass uh, called Yankee Row. It was on the Deerfield River. It was hit by lightning and shut down. And um, we, for various political reasons, we were able to force the Nuclear Regulatory Commission to demand that uh, before they reopen, they test for embrittlement. Now, this, you know, this is an important precedent at Diablo Canyon. The owner of the reactor, the uh, Yankee Atomic Company, came back and said either they wouldn't do it or they couldn't do it. But no, either either case, Yankee Row, they, they did not test for embrittlement and they never reopened. So at, at Diablo Canyon, which will shut in October, we want the same uh, treatment. They, they either have to test for embrittlement uh, or not reopen. And uh, they will not want to reopen because we, I mean, I test for embrittlement because we know dating back even to 2002, 21 years ago, that they were already embrittled. And uh, there's no, and that's only unit one. Um, and as, as Linda said, the, the uh, copper in unit one, after, uh, after they had the debate about uh, Diablo, they never used that amount of copper again. 
it was, so Diablo is an outlier even among the reactors on that on that issue. And uh, Harvey, I want to add too that the lawyer who did who conducted the case about Yankee Row is the same lawyer that we have now, so she's very familiar with that precedent. Right. Well, that's uh, that's uh, there's something to be said for longevity in the anti-nuclear movement. Um, um, I, I don't know if they've done any renovations to the uh, San Luis Jail, but I guess we'll find out. From thirty, I, I, I was arrested there almost forty years ago, so I'm I'm thinking that a lot of us are going to go back there with our children and our grandchildren. I've already I've already taken my children and showed them where I was arrested. They're not interested, but you know, whatever. So um, our chances of shutting Diablo are going to be better this fall than ever. And and we have to grab this situation. So any any uh, support that we can give to the Mothers for Peace, put the uh, link in the chat, please. Linda, uh, uh, Lynn Feinerman, you had a hand. Lynn, Lynn go ahead. And then um, uh, Jeffrey, very briefly, please. And then Myla. Um, uh, go ahead, Lynn. Can we unmute you? Yes, I think I'm unmuted. Yes, you um, are. Go ahead. I uh, testified last uh, week. Um, I was one of the speakers on, you know, uh, one of the CPUC meetings, uh, and there were at least like, oh, there were over 50 testimonies. Um, I know Tatanka was there, and I know that I think Milo was there, and um, yeah. What uh, amazed me is that there were a number of people who represented, you know, like Chamber of Commerce and uh, people who were. Uh, all about uh, the jobs that they were going to lose, that they that they had 1,500 jobs that they were uh, were uh, up for uh, in all of this, and and it bothered me that there was also a lot of testimony from people who claimed to be experts and claimed to have been involved with Diablo that were just patently inaccurate. I mean, there were just like myths being thrown around. Yep. Uh, you know, <laughs> people don't don't care what they say. I mean, it, it, it's mind boggling, and we've heard that stuff. Lynn, are you you're you're okay? Is that is, did, was there more from you, Lynn? Yeah, I just I wanted to ask a question, and that is, I, I need clarification from Linda because the um, email that I got said that they were going to vote on something. The CPUC was going to vote on something Friday, and I've heard no news about it whatsoever. And now Linda has said that they're actually having these um, hearings all month. I thought that those were that those were the last two. No, but not not all all month. I'm sorry if I misspoke. I meant throughout this coming year, uh, up till the end of the year, they're going to have um, hearings. I don't know, Lynn, if this is performative on the part yeah. of CPUC. That's what um, I'm worried about. Yeah, that's I'm worried about that too. I mean, the decisions have already been made. We know that. Uh, they want to keep Diablo Canyon open, period. That's it. And they don't care what we have to say. They want to give us a forum because they're obligated to by law. But I don't think they care at all what we say. The, th the only way we can get them, I think, is through the legal challenge in the court, because um, and then also 
by by proving to them how much it's going to cost the people of California um, at the PUC. So we're uh, Mothers for Peace, by the way, has an open case right now at the um, Ninth Circuit Court of Appeals, the federal court, about the fact that the NRC uh, violated its own laws, own rules, by allowing PG&E to submit their application for relicensing only 10 months prior to the shut the the scheduled shutdown of unit one, which is in November of 2024. They they and their own rule states unequivocally that they have that every application has to be submitted to the NRC five years in advance of the shutdown. They have allowed except two exceptions to that and they've allowed them three years, but 10 months in advance of a license expiring with a, a reactor vessel that hasn't been ex- inspected since 2002. It's almost uh, like th- they should be thrown in prison if they're allowing that. That's all. Yeah, absolutely. And, and it's outrageous. The, uh, you know, these people demand that we follow the law until they find laws they don't want to follow. And then they break them left and right. There is no doubt whatsoever that what they want to do at the Apple Canyon is completely illegal. And um, uh, so we, we have to help fund the legal cases. Maybe we'll get a break in the courts. You know, the NRC, uh, uh, we call no real chance or nobody really cares. But um, uh, hopefully uh, we'll get something here. Uh, Jeffrey, very quickly, please. And then Myla, Justin, and a phone number that we don't see in Greg Schwartz. You got to let us know on ending in 134 who you are, please. Uh, go ahead, Jeffrey, very uh, quickly, please. All right. All right. Got two, two real quick. I'm going to make them very quickly. <laughs> Excuse me. All right. Linda Seeley, all that you said is the reason why, why I wanted to make, why we should, why P- PBS should make that doc, documentary. And as for and as for what Dennis Dennis Bernstein st- said about the all that all the, all the radiation stuff and all that's why I'm, that's why I want to try and make a anti nuclear weapon weapons video video for YouTube. But which my question for you, Harvey, is: Would you like to assi- assist or no or no? Of course, keep me posted. Okay, thank you, Jeffrey. Okay, uh, Myla okay. thank you, Jeffrey. Uh, Myla, Myla Reason, you're unmuted. Thanks, Harvey. I just wanted to revisit this issue of um, exemptions, and um, <clears throat> um, it's just it's just extraordinary. Linda, you were talking about how um, the um, last time Diablo was tested for embrittlement was two thousand two, and yet they've managed to get waivers and exemptions. And I'm wondering. If the um, if it's the federal authority that actually requires the um, the exemption, uh, I mean the the testing for embrittlement, and then I just want to remind people that um, when the uh, lease for Diablo from the PG&E's list for uh, Diablo from the state of California was up for renewal, Gavin Newsom and Betty um, Betty Yee. Uh, voted to give PG&E a waiver from um, producing a an environmental uh, impact study, so they weren't required to to follow the California Environmental Impact Act, CEQA. 
or Environmental Quality Act. And then we have the Federal uh, Clean Water Act, which uh, would make illegal the discharge of superheated water from Diablo into the Pacific Ocean, decimating the marine environment. Um, that is regulated by the state of California, and yet the uh, the people in the, in our legislature who have oversight over that have given uh, PG&E a, a pass on that. I don't know if you can count how many waivers and how many exemptions they could not be operating without all of that. It just seems like a, you know extraordinary. So anyway, I wonder if you could just answer the first part of my question, which had to do with how is it that they're required, I, I believe it's every 10 years to test for embrittlement, and how how has to have 21 years gone by without those tests being conducted? They, they went in 2012, when it was up uh, for it, they wrote a letter to PG&E. They asked if they could use other, I mean, to the NRC, they asked if they could use another method of testing for um, the embrittlement and uh, the NRC said, sure you can. And so what they did was they took some material from, um, for people on the call, the way they test is they have these little things called coupons inside the reactor that they put in there when they manufacture the, uh, the reactor vessel. And they can remove a coupon and test for what Harvey was talking about, the neutron embrittlement of the metal. So what they did was they took some metal from the Palisades plant in Michigan. And they said, this is just like the one at Diablo. We'll use this, okay? And the NRC said, sure, go ahead. Um, yeah, and then they were supposed to do it again in 2022. And they said, oh, we can't, uh, the, there's a blockage in there. We can't actually retrieve the sample, but we're going to close down in two years anyway. So let us wait for another couple of years to do it because we're closing down and then we can, and the NRC said, oh, okay. So that's how they were able to get around it for the past 21 years. Yep. It's, it's, it's utterly outrageous, uh, completely outrageous. And But we do have this Yankee Row precedent and let's hope that uh, something comes of that. And we do have Diane Curran and uh, the, the mothers need, uh, need to be supported. So let's keep at it. Justin LeBlanc and then Greg Schwartz and then Mary, go ahead. Yeah, uh, so there were a couple other experts on the CPUC call that I wanted to bring up. Maybe Linda has some more commentary on them. One of them uh, mentioned the, uh, I think it was a, some sort of working group and their estimate for the total cost of operations over the next 20 years would be something like $45 billion. Um, and then the uh, other expert I thought was worth bringing up here, Bruce Severance, actually read through 4,000 pages of uh, test material, and he was studying the fracture toughness of uh, since that 2003, uh, 2002 inspection. Uh, and they guess were, uh, he was saying they were invalidating the stress test data, uh, according to the uh, NRC's you know, misinterpretation of guidance. Uh, so reactor one was well beyond tolerances and he's uh, developed, he's going to submit a 30 page analysis with 
a UC Berkeley nuclear physicist on the matter. That's correct. Um, uh, let's see the first, what was the first thing you said about- uh, Specifically, uh, he'd read 4,000 pages and his uh, issue was basis, uh, it was fracture toughness. Right, fracture toughness is the same thing as embrittlement. And yes, he's read 4,000 pages and yes, he's working with the UC Berkeley metals um, scientist, a very illustrious metal scientist, by the way. And you'll be hearing more about that in the next oh, two, three weeks. Um, right, and the, uh, a group you were, I think, trying to find a name is the Environmental Working Group. Uh, yeah. Ken Cook, they're in, uh, in the Bay Area, a very good group. And we're lining other groups, hopefully, up to join with the mothers. In uh, 20, I believe it was 2019, we circulated a petition that got 2,000 signatures to and more, actually 2,400, to ask Gavin Newsom just to inspect the thing. We didn't ask him to shut it down. We said, it's going to be shut down for refueling like it will be in October. Uh, we just want you to have an independent public inspection. And he blew us off. He wouldn't do it. And among those who signed that petition were Jane Fonda, Lily Tomlin, Martin Sheen, um, Eric Roberts, Graham Nash, Ed Asner, uh, you know, Lila Garrett, Jody Evans. I mean, we had a, an A-list team of people signing this uh, petition. I thought when Jane, Jane Fonda signed the petition that we had won, but he, he even blew off Jane Fonda. So what can I tell you? Um, uh, it's outrageous. And we know we are 100% certain that he read the petition. We know he read it. And by the way, the uh, Environmental Working Group and Friends of the Earth are um, co have co-filed with us at the NRC and at the Ninth Circuit Court of Appeals. So, but all three of our groups are being represented by Diane Curran, our fantastic attorney. Yeah, she's great. Uh, Greg Schwartz and then Mary Stonewall. I will call. We have. 134, so, but I don't know who you are. So he wants to, uh, yeah, somebody on the phone wants to make a yeah, comment. But they, they need to identify who they are before we go. Okay. Thank you, though. Greg Schwartz, Mary, and then Ron Leonard, and then Wendy. We're also joined by Greg Semler, who has a new uh, a way of generating electricity. We want to talk to him, too. Go ahead, uh, Greg. Uh, okay, I've got three quick questions. Uh, one is, who is the seismic expert? Because I'd like to compare their analysis with Michael Peck's. Two, how do we follow this embrittlement testing? Is that happening during the closure for refueling? And then three, Linda just mentioned a 2012 letter uh, where they violated their own rules. And I'm wondering if that's the same letter that Michael Peck targeted as the smoking gun in which PG&E, uh, NRC advised PG&E to use a previously rejected methodology to sweep the newer seismic data from the shoreline fault under the rug um, that he says is the criminal regulatory collusion that took place. Okay. Um, Peter Bird um, is our expert witness. He's a emeritus professor of um, seismology at UCLA. And he submitted his testimony that you can find. In fact, Greg, I, I'll send you, um, I'll send you the testimony of all of our experts. Okay. Okay? Um, number one. Number two, um, the Michael Peck testimony 
you know, we kind of purposely did not give uh, Peter Bird Michael Te Peck's testimony because we wanted him not to be influenced by anything. Um, we wanted him to do it fresh out of his own eyes. And okay. so he came up, his conclusions. Now, he did not estimate the ground motion, I don't think, under the plant. I have to relook at his testimony, but he only made kind of a generalist uh, statement that the ground motion would be more than what was in the previous estimates. And that's exactly what Michael Peck did too. And so it corroborates what Michael Peck okay. said. And as you know, Michael Peck was basically run out of town on a rail. I do, yes, I know. <laughs> um, yeah. But he's happily retired from the NRC now um, and living- I'm not sure how happy he is about it, but uh, yeah. Okay. Well, at least he was not tarred and feathered, but um, he was run out of town. Yeah. Mm -hmm. So, uh -huh. and, and, you know, it's pretty amazing. The Nuclear Regulatory Commission claims all this credibility. They have site inspectors at every reactor who come to work every day at the reactor. Michael Peck, their, their guy at Diablo Canyon was there five years. And as an official NRC um, inspector, site inspector, he submits a report and says, well, these two reactors I don't think they can withstand uh, the incredible earthquake. You got to shut them down at least until we examine it further. This is their own guy. And they, they blew him off. What's the point of having these people there? You know, I mean, really, uh, it's outrageous. If ever there was a piece of evidence that said uh, two reactors are uh, endangered by earthquakes, it would be from the this NRC site inspector. And that's exactly what they got. And they say, oh, well, that's just a, a, his personal opinion. <laughs> really? He didn't want that to be his personal opinion. He only yeah. made his opinion because he read all the documents and he was like, ah, this doesn't look good. He's uh -huh. not an anti-nuclear person like us. He's a, an, you know, a nuclear engineer, scientist. Uh, he's not... Uh, like you, Harvey. <laughs> you mean a hippie? Um, was, anyway, um, and they and the, the the assertion of embrittlement in in two thousand two, the NRC said that Diablo Unit One was one of the five most embrittled reactors in the country. A number of the other ones in the top five have shut. Right. So you know. What can I tell you? Mary, get Mary, Stone, oh, go ahead. Get, get, take the embrittlement and add into it the seismic danger. And this is like very terrifying. Beyond terrifying. And, you know, I have a, a I, I live in LA. We're di directly downwind and we have no insurance. My homeowner's policy says that PG&E is not liable if they pour a bunch of radiation into my house. I mean, you know, uh, Mary Stonewall, then Ron, then, then Wendy, Mary. <clears throat> yeah, um, I understand what's going on down there with uh, the fault lines and all that and how they're really not watching the shifting up and down. 
but here in Washington, yeah, we need help too because we have Hanford, which is considered the most toxic radioactive spot in the United States. And that's even including the Russian meltdown and all the other accidents we've had. But this is mostly man-made. And the, due to the fact that, like I said, we burnt down, that area burnt during uh, two different wildfires, 2015, 2017, and it compromised all the concrete, concrete structures that all the radiation in uh, containers was in. So then we had cave-ins over there and they kicked all the people that worked there off the base, brought in substitute workers, supposedly fixed everything, and then demanded everybody come back to work. Well, they had a third of their staff quit because they considered it hazardous, and they actually moved out of Washington State and now live in Nevada. <laughs> well, let me say also, we, we need to understand, and we're joined by Greg Semler. Greg, I can hope hope you can stay with us through this discussion. and. Tell us about your innovations, because we're going to segue a bit uh, into um, uh, renewables. But in, and uh, Camilla Harris is also joined. Camilla Reese is also <laughs> Camilla Harris too. Camilla Reese has joined us, and then um, uh, Alyssa Matras. Good to see you, um, um, uh, and many others. So um, in 2016, um, uh, there was a landmark deal cut, and it was an amazing, um, uh, truly landmark agreement where the governor of California, then Jerry Brown, the Lieutenant Governor, Gavin Newsom, the uh, Public Utilities Commission, the State Assembly, for God's sakes, the local governments in the in San Luis area, the unions uh, of people working there, uh, the environmental groups, uh, except for Mothers for Peace, which held out because they didn't want to acknowledge continued operation. Um, there was a, a giant agreement and, and a beautiful phase-out plan for Diablo Canyon. And it's sailing right along. And PG&E agreed. They were happy to do it. They stopped maintaining the place. And you have to understand, PG&E <clears throat> in 2010 caused a major gas explosion that killed eight people in San Bruno, for which they pleaded guilty to federal involuntary manslaughter charges. Then their badly uh, um, maintained equipment in Northern California set fires that killed more than 80 people. So you have a company running this nuclear plant with more than 80 convictions of involuntary manslaughter, for God's sakes. And then Gavin Newsom out of the blue in 2022 says, no, we gotta keep it open even though he signed the agreement to shut it down. It's outrageous. Absolutely. And the other thing is, uh, Greg Semler will uh, partly um, address this, and Ron Leonard, our solar expert. In the period since 2016, more solar capacity has been installed in California than um, the, the plant produces. And there's way more electricity produced in California just from rooftop solar than from Diablo Canyon. So, you know, what are we doing here, Linda? I mean, it's outrageous. They have no excuse for continuing to run this plant. And twice in past months, as Ron Leonard has pointed out, uh, Diablo, uh, California has been saved from blackouts by privately owned battery storage. 
So there you go. Uh, Ron Leonard, go ahead, please. So I think this is a metaphor for letting the genie out of the bottle. And once that genie has escaped poor old Oppenheimer, or maybe you to blame, we have consequences. The consequences are not just in our generation. You and I, Harvey, have seen this since day one in the early 70s, but it's in generation after generation after generation after generation in on in paternity. Uh, and this is a grave tipping point that we're at right now. We saw the government of California pass a midnight resolution to allow this plant, which should have been shut down, and we know it should have been shut down because everybody agreed it should have been shut down, to operate again. Why? What's the regulation basis for doing this? And this is my real point here in the discussion. We probably are foolish to think that the regulator, either the Public Service Commission in California, CPUC, or the Nuclear Regulatory Commission is capable or actually interested in doing the public good. But there is some case law that may be useful to us. And uh, a funny guy who uh, you all know, who actually happens to be running for president, uh, actually established that case law. And if you look at reservoir.org, uh, the suit that we filed against New York City and won had to do with the uh, ability to uh, enforce the state's need to file permits. And in New York State is called the Speedies permit, but it's basically a pollution permit. And in the case of once nuclear plant shut down, now nuclear plant turns on, that case law that's been established because we won the case nationally changed the interpretation of the Clean Water Act. And I think that maybe is something that we can hang our hat on. And I think we really need to understand the, uh, the sour grapes that we feel uh, about having a government out of control, but we do have some control in the courts and we can enforce case law that has been established by the courts. So take a look at Reservoir Dog and uh, there's this guy this in California, his name is Bobby. You can talk to him. Uh, Ron and, and Linda, uh, Ron, you should get Linda those precedents and, and uh, coordinate with Diane Curran, it's important. Um, we, we're joined by Rachel Coyle also. Rachel, I hope you have time to stay with us. Uh, can you, we want you to talk to us about Ohio. Just a few more, are you all right there? Uh, just a few more minutes and we're gonna go to Greg Simler and then, and then to you uh, from uh, Ohio. Um, we have uh, Wendy want to make a comment and then we want to wrap up with Diablo. We want everybody to contact Linda Seeley, the Mothers for Peace. This is crunch time. This is when we can win. It's a, it's a lot easier to, to keep shut a nuclear reactor that's already shut than to shut one down that's operating. And we will have that opportunity in October. So we, we have got to win this. Uh, and I'm sure Tatanka, you're well aware of it too. So uh, Wendy, go ahead. Thank you so much. I'll try to be very brief so we can get to our next guest. I just wanted to um, make a couple of quick points that are just very, very fundamental and elementary and sometimes can get away in, in the whole 
discussion. And I want to thank Linda so much for all of her amazing work and for being with us. So um, I'll drop in the chat um, Harvey's awesome article that he just put out in Truth Out today. He mentions the point that these plants are uninsurable, period. I mean, that should say something, you know. Um, California gets about 9% total of it, all of its electric power from nuclear. Florida gets three. The, the, the output that you get versus this unimaginable risk is just beyond logic. And the nuclear cult just doesn't seem to get that. I know France is used a lot as an example, but right now there's tension going on with Niger, who's about to give their uranium to China and Russia because they're not colonizing like imperialists. And it's just absolutely absurd. And really it just comes down to the fact that the Department of Energy needs to supply weapons material to the DOJ. And that's really all it is. So sometimes with these arguments, people can get away from the simple fact that 9% of all of California is supplied by nuclear energy. This is just the most ridiculous argument. And I'll drop the article in the chat. Thank you so much, guys. Thank you, Wendy. And you know, uh, unlike my car uh, and Linda's car, anybody else drives in California, Diablo Canyon is un uninsured and uninspected. Uh, I could, if my car was, if that, that nuke was my Toyota, they, they, they'd have to take it off the road. I mean, it's outrageous. And uh, so, uh, Tataki, you wanted to jump in? Uh, Rachel just, and Greg, I hope you can stay, please. Go ahead, Tataki. I just want to thank Linda. I want to, you know, publicly acknowledge that Linda Seeley and the Mothers for Peace are the people that we have the most hope of supporting to stop this inevitable catastrophe from happening. It's virtually inevitable for what they're asking for. And to take that in, we can take this whole global problem of nuclear war, nuclear weapons, apparitia, the whole history of it, and say this local issue is a global issue. It is certainly a global issue. And so, you know, I am just so grateful and so grateful to be working with you. And all the people are so dedicated. They're a volunteer group. They're trying to raise money that they have to pay. So get in touch, even if it's a little amount, get in touch and stay in touch and show up. And we may need, when there's a release of some information legally, we may need in this call and in our communities to mobilize very quickly to have some kind of thing that will capture the imagination, going to jail again with named people plus common people. So I, I, I'm right, Linda, we all Absolutely. need, that's where we're at. Be on alert and it's gonna happen quickly. It'll where this stuff is coming up really. This is the first of August. So we got August and September, and then it's going down uh, for for um, its outage unit one. And we have to make a we have to make our point before that outage comes so that they are forced to do something to inspect that um, right. or just shut it down and keep it shut down. Right, Harvey? Absolutely. And I think, Linda, probably, again, we're not going to meet next week. We will meet the week after. For the next few weeks, we're going to be every other week. Uh, but I think in addition to your legal fund, Linda, we got to start a, a bail fund uh, at a bank in San Luis Obispo so that everybody's ready. Um, uh, and and the, another key point to remember, there are 1,500 jobs at Diablo Canyon that will not go away when the reactor shuts because it takes years to decommission these plants. And there are 70,
thousand people in California install, installing rooftop solar panels. Seventy thousand versus fifteen hundred. Give me a break. And I mean, to translate on. what what Linda is saying about the embrittlement issue, we have to think of Diablo Canyon as a nuclear weapon. That's right. As a weapon to be detonated right here that will affect yeah. us all. Okay. God help us all. Thank you. So one of the pieces of the puzzle is alternative renewable energies. And Greg Semler, who's been brought to us uh, by Camilla Reese, uh, has um, a, a got a, another technology that we need to hear about. Greg, do you want to you uh, fill us in, please? Sure. Uh, yeah, it's a fascinating uh, conversation I just sat through. Uh, you know, I, 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 uh, I'm grateful that you guys are, are marching ahead against um, nuclear power. Um, so, um, yeah, thanks, Harvey, for uh, inviting me to participate today. And Camilla, who I've known for a long, Camilla, uh, you know, almost 40 years. Um, so I, I just wanted to give you a background uh, about my company. It's called InPipe Energy, and um, we're focused on uh, creating renewable energy from existing infrastructure. So my background is I'm an entrepreneur. Um, I've spent the last 20 years uh, innovating in the energy and water sectors uh, uh, to build companies in this area. And about uh, 10 years ago, I learned about water infrastructure and how it works. And for those of you who uh, don't know how water infrastructure works, I'll explain it uh, quickly. Uh, you know, basically water is conveyed similarly all over the world. Um, and it has been this way for like 5,000 years. Basically what water utilities do is they pump water up a hill and store it in a reservoir or overhead tank. And then they distribute it uh, through pressure in, in large water pipelines into their service area. And then embedded in those pipelines are valves. And these valves are used to manage the pressure so that when you turn on the shower at night or in the morning, it comes out at the right pressure. And, and so it's a very simple process. And these, but, but what's, not very well understood is that these control valves, which are ubiquitous in water infrastructure, basically waste uh, potential energy. So the, the way they work is they use friction to burn off pressure, just like, just like the brakes in your car, or if you had a hose that was squirting water and you crimped on it, that's just wasting energy. And so at InPipe Energy, we have developed a system that integrates into existing water pipeline infrastructure and produces a new source of renewable energy. And so the energy that we're producing is essentially hydroelectricity, but the benefit of it is, is that there's no environmental impact, no environmental impact. So that's what drew me to this opportunity. I've been working on it uh, over 10 years, uh, over two companies, because to be able to produce energy that has no environmental impact when environmentalists are sort of reluctant to adopt any energy source is, uh, I just thought was such an important opportunity. So we've developed essentially a turnkey plug and play approach to this challenge. We have installed systems in Oregon, Washington, and California, about to do Colorado, Australia, um, Thailand, um, and so forth, and really to demonstrate this opportunity to use existing water pipeline infrastructure to produce a new source of renewable energy. 
Um, we, we, you know, there's a lot of ways to look at what the potential of this uh, opportunity is. But if, but, but if you, if you know about the water industry, the water industry um, has, you know, this, you know, millions of miles of water pipelines with water flowing through it. And they have these existing uh, storage tanks and dams. And they have huge discretion over when water goes through these pipelines. And these pipelines, if they were connected with turbines, would be a very predictable, reliable, consistent, low-cost source of renewable energy without any environmental impact. And so uh, what we're, you know, the state, what we're trying to do is to prove to water utilities that the technology that we've developed is safe and reliable and predictable and kind of meet their requirements. And once we've done that, we want, we are in a great position to, uh, you know, essentially educate electric utilities that this vast source of renewable energy exists in their service area so that together, you know, water agencies and electric utilities can collaborate to bring online essentially base load electricity that they can use to power their communities. Wow, that's really amazing. Uh, 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 Mike has asked, do you have a website? Can you put your yeah. website in the chat? Yeah, yeah. so what's, please go to, go to inpipeenergy.com. What is it? Inpipe, so I-N-P-I-P-E, energy.com. Okay, well, we'll have to have you back after everybody studies your stuff. And yeah. are you, where are you? What what state? Are you uh, in? Right, I'm in San Francisco. In pipe energy is that two e's? Yeah. I n p i p e e n e r g y dot com. Yep. All right, we'll look it up. Come back in a couple of weeks. <laughs> okay, uh, I'd love to. Thank and, you. Uh, wow, that that's really an interesting idea. I, it's very very. Uh, Ron Leonard, you should especially with your background. Uh, take a look at this, and I believe San Francisco is in California, so uh, maybe you still can. Have... It still is. Yeah, yeah. Oh, look at that! That's amazing. Okay, everybody, come back, look at this, and in two weeks we'll come back, and there'll be a quiz, and and we'll see uh, uh, what you can do. Thank you. Uh, All right. Can I ask Greg a question, Harvey? Can I ask? Yeah, Greg sure. Go ahead, Camilla. Can you we'll... give us? Can you give us a sense of? What's involved in in installing this kind of equipment on at a local water you know municipality? What does it cost? What kind of energy? Like how much energy are they generating? What is the potential that you see? Sure. So um, so we worked with a uh, one of the largest valve companies in the United States and estimated that if we deployed the hydro excess across the U.S. water infrastructure municipal water infrastructure market we could uh, basically produce 12 gigawatts of potential energy. So that's enough energy for about 12 and a half million homes uh, and, and offset about 1.2 billion tons of carbon. So it, it, um, you know, it's, it's um, when we install these systems, they're really based on the, the flow. So the amount of energy UE can produce is, is basically flow times pressure times efficiency and we're about 80 percent efficient so it's very site specific and that's why water utilities could 
manipulate the situation so that they had more flow, more pressure, and more energy that they could produce on demand. Um, it, generally, our system is about one third or one fourth the cost of solar energy. So we produce electricity for about three or four cents a kilowatt hour. Wow. Uh, and, and the reason it's low cost is because we're producing energy around the clock, as opposed to when the sun's shining or when the wind's blowing. It takes us about two weeks uh, to install our system into a municipal water pipeline. And really the, lo the long lead time, not to get your blood to curl even more, is PG&E and the electric utilities, which are just so difficult to deal with. Um, you know, they just they just killed the solar tariff in the, in California. Yeah, we know about um, that. Yeah. So, you know, the, the challenge is really working with the electric utilities who basically are going to say, well, we can solve the whole problem with nuclear power. What do we need all this other stuff for? And well, so and so they're all around it. They're trying to kill it off. Um, but, you know, that's the situation is such that water utilities really like it. They really get it. Uh, the systems, all the systems that we've deployed so far, the customers are coming back for more uh, additional sites. And so we, we feel really positive about the opportunity to use water to uh, uh, generate renewable energy throughout cities and, and rural areas. Well, I think I've got a great slogan for you, uh, that you can power the state by flushing your toilet. <laughs> there you go. Right? I mean, yeah, yeah. yeah, I'm sure Gavin would like that. Yeah. All right. Well, listen, it's fascinating. So I, I listen, we're we're way over time. Yeah, no, I appreciate the time. So after the hour, uh, I don't want to be rude to Rachel and Julie, who are going to talk to us about Ohio, but and, and uh, New York. So definitely come back. Really, okay. really interesting stuff. Um, and, All right. Thank you. Uh, and yeah, check out my website. It. And okay. uh, you connect, especially with Ron Leonard and uh, with the, the mothers in terms of that. Okay, thank you so much. And uh, um, uh, Cam Camilla, thank you for bringing him to us and we'll do this. We'll come back in a couple of weeks and deal with it some more. Uh, okay, wonderful. So we're gonna talk to Rachel Coyle and um, um, Julie Weiner. Um, Rachel's in Ohio, Julie's in New York. We have very important electoral issues that are at stake here. Uh, Rachel, um, we, we, I read today that um, they're trying to keep the abortion rights issue off the ballot at the same time that they're trying to raise uh, the, the winning percentage to 60. Uh, can, you, can you tell us about both those things? And then yeah. Julie will talk to us about an upcoming hearing in New York and also the gerrymandering issue. Uh, Rachel, uh, go ahead, please. Awesome. So starting with some good news, finally, Ohioans collected hundreds of thousands of signatures uh, and officially are on the ballot for this November 7th uh, for abortion rights. So we are working if this amendment passes on November 7th, Ohio will restore Roe and abortion rights in our state. Very, very exciting. Uh, tons of people gathered signatures for that. And a recent poll found that 58% of Ohioans support abortion rights. So we've got actually a really good chance of this passing. Uh, so what we are seeing is Republicans have set a special election for August of this year ahead of the November election that would do several things, one of which is raise the requirement 
uh, to 60% of the statewide vote in order to pass any constitutional amendments, which would automatically mean that our 58% wouldn't be enough to enshrine abortion rights in our state. It would also make it so that anyone who is trying to gather signatures to put something on Ohio's ballot would need to get thousands more signatures from every single one of Ohio's 88 counties, uh, which is pretty much impossible to do unless you're a paid campaign. So it would make it basically so that only people who can afford to pay signature collectors and then pay for ads on TV to get 60% of the state to support them would have a shot. Uh, so we need everyone to do two things in Ohio, which is, you know, fund a message. We need everybody to show up either this week or next week to vote no on issue one on August 8th, uh, which is the thing that would make it so that you'd need 60% of the vote to pass abortion rights. And then we need people to show back up again in November and vote yes for abortion rights. So it's, they're trying to make it complicated. They're making it so that our activists and our organizers cannot sleep between now and November, but all the all the polling is you know going our way and we have a really good shot if we get people out to vote no in August and yes in November. Mind-boggling. These people have no shame, do they? I mean really. Um I, I think you I think what they're trying to get um on uh, in the Ohio um raising the uh uh bar there is it should be referred to as the two-thirds bonus. Um, um, anyway, go ahead. Or three fifths. It was three fifths, actually, the three fifths bonus, which was 60%. It's outrageous. Okay, so and now I know Wendy's been collecting signatures in Florida, so we'll uh, talk to her after we're after Julie. Um, and then what's the other uh, thing that's going on there? that we talked about. Uh... Yes. So we've got, well, two things, actually. Uh, one other good thing is that we have uh, Ohioans collecting signatures for adult use marijuana uh, that would also be on the ballot this November. And they're currently about 700 signatures short, but they have till August 4th to get those signatures. Uh, so we actually have a shot at having abortion rights and adult use marijuana on the ballot this November. So big things happening there. But the other thing you should all know is that uh, the guy who is- Let me just say one thing, by the way, that, that sure. for years, I lived in Columbus, and for years, we tried to get people to gather signatures for a ballot initiative. <clears throat> and literally, our, our group was just too stoned. And whenever we, whenever we'd have, uh, people would say, I, I know we need signatures, but man, I, I, just, I just can't do it. <laughs> so finally, uh, apparently some adults step forward uh, and stop smoking and, and got enough signatures. So congratulations <laughs> on that. <clears throat> Go ahead. Yeah. So the the guy who runs Ohio's elections, Frank LaRose, he's our secretary of state, uh, is also running for U.S. Senate at the same time. And illegally. He, illegally. And he is openly, openly trying to push for issue one to pass. So he's openly trying to make it so that Ohioans would have to pretty much be billionaires to get on the ballot and stop our abortion rights amendment this fall, even though he is charged with running the election in a fair and nonpartisan way. It's been wild to, to watch. He's openly campaigning. He's openly in campaign events and photos and videos with the paid lobbyist for the issue one campaign. Today, he demanded that the other Senate candidates each give a million dollars to support the issue one campaign. And he's doing all of this while claiming that he's still able to run the issue one election without bias. And it's just been unbelievable to watch. So if he ends up being the, the candidate for 
Ohio for U.S. Senate, we're going to have a fight on our hands. Well, yeah, and remember, he's going to be running against Sherrod Brown, who I think of all the Democrats would make the best president. Sherrod Brown is a heck of a guy. He's and I, I, I want to get him on our call. Uh, so we, we do want to send up a fundraiser for him in California. But um, uh, Frank LaRose, these guys are abominable. I mean, J.D. Vance, who won the last time, is grotesque. So, um, uh, so what else? Uh, and what else do we have from Ohio uh, that that will curl our hair? Those are the big things. If okay. you happen, if you know anyone who needs to vote, they can vote early this week, and the voting hours are actually better uh, now. We have voting hours staying open until after working hours, which is lovely. And we actually get a weekend of early vote this weekend. So big, big time to get everybody out to vote no on issue one. It'll take you like five minutes because there's only one thing on the ballot. Well, they did. They did close 27 polling places because they had quote unquote events going on in Franklin County. So that's a big deal. If they popped out at the last minute, didn't warn anybody. I don't, I don't, Rachel, I don't know if you heard anything, but also, if we go and check and talk to those venues, are they going to say, oh, we, we didn't have anything going on. Nobody's checked it, I guess. That is a great point. So we know, I believe it's 66,000 people in the Franklin County area, which is the Columbus area, are going to have a different polling location if they show up to vote on Election Day on August 8th. Let me see if I have that article here. Yes. Um, so that is we're going to have to get the information out that everybody needs to check their polling location if they're going to vote on Election Day, uh, because it is very shady that that seems to be happening as largely to folks in the Columbus area. Uh, but one of the ways to avoid that is to just go vote early because there's only one early vote location per county. So that is one of our best bets is voting early. But if you have to vote on Election Day, check your polling location. Well, you have to. Of course, this stuff makes your hair stand down in, which apparently yours is doing, Rachel. But uh, <laughs> uh, you have to remember that this is the state in 2004 where the Secretary of State, Ken Blackwell, published wrong addresses for his own polling places. In other words, if you went online and you got the information directly from the Secretary of State, you would be sent to your, a wrong a polling station. And the, this is the top one. I love this one the most. Ken Blackwell held a press conference because the, the Cleveland Plain Dealer had published uh, in their newspaper a form to fill out, to mail in, to get a ballot. And Ken Blackwell was outraged and he held a press conference and said that you, those aren't valid. You have to have application forms on 80 pound paper. And he had application forms in his office on 60 pound paper. So if you went to the Secretary of State's office and got a form to fill out to get a ballot, it was invalid. That's, that's elections in Ohio. Um, you know, uh, anyway, well, good luck, Rachel. I, I hope to God you can come back with a good result uh, and uh, your hair will again be standing on end. <laughs> um, uh, <laughs> uh, we have Julie. Julie we're going to go to questions later. We have Julie Weiner. Stay with us if you can, Rachel. It'll be great. Uh, Julie Weiner from New York. We've got some Hi. interesting. A um, uh, 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 couple of things there. 
couple of things. Yeah. Well, first of all, you're talking about nuclear issues. New York, uh, New York, the uh, company decommissioning Indian Point in Buchanan, New York, it want, is about to um, drop, uh, I, I forget how many million gallons of tritium laden radioactive water into the, in the Hudson River. The legislature voted to make that illegal. And so far, we have not been able to get Governor Hochul to sign the bill. So as we speak, there's a demonstration at the um, at the um, up in uh, at the at the decommissioning forum uh, up in Cortland, New York. But I'm going to ask everybody to please call Governor Hochul and ask her to sign the bill uh, to save the, the Save the Hudson bill. So I'll add that to what I'm so far Has putting Has she spoken against it? Has she no, said- No, she just hasn't signed it. That's she outrageous. just hasn't signed Everybody it, you know, it's just- <clears throat> There's radioactive water at Indian Point, the nuclear plant, which Andrew Cuomo thankfully shut. And they, the company Holtec, which is a New Jersey company that's Close to Cory Booker, by the way, um, they they're de- decommissioning uh, Indian Point, which is the two reactors that the terrorists who hit the World Trade Center were thinking about hitting, and, and they want to just dump this water in the Hudson. There's also water at at um, uh, the Pilgrim reactor on Cape Cod. They want to dump that, and then of course you got a million tons of radioactive water at Fukushima. It's all the same. Lunacy. All right. So sorry. Yeah. Another issue. Another issue uh, verging on corruption, or was the New York State Legislature just revised the campaign finance law? We had a really nice progressive law that gives uh, public money, supposedly was going to give public money to people wanting to run for office who were getting most of their contributions in amounts of five to two hundred and fifty dollars. And now the legislature has decided that almost everybody <laughs> can get can get reimbursement from public coffers for the portion of the money they get that is between five and two hundred and fifty dollars. So basically, that tilts the finance. That first of all takes a lot of money out of out of public treasury for for established candidates and also, oh, and they've also raised the number of contributions you have to get to be able to get public financing. So they've doubled it. So they've made it twice as hard for people who are running for the first time. Instead of 75 contributions, I think they need 150. So there are a lot of revisions that basically make it easier. I put a I put a um I put a critique of the bill as at the point that it was proposed into the chat. But you know, it's and these are all our nice liberal friends who voted for it. The um, Andrew Stewart cousins in the Senate organized it and Senator Janaris and all the people who've been on our side on elections and on a lot of other progressive issues, just you know, they're taking care of themselves. So that was a disappointment to see that. They just they want to protect themselves against radicals running against them. <clears throat> yes, and, coming up on voting machines, is that right? Yes, that's the main thing. I, I, the main reason I wanted to be here tonight is because this coming Wednesday, the um, New York State Board of Elections is going to be voting Wednesday at whenever the uh, campaign finance board meeting ends. 
uh, the New York State Board of Elections will be voting on a num on several new voting machines. The one that Citizens for Voting Integrity New York is the most concerned about, and we share that with all of the good government groups that have been campaigning on this, is um, the Express Vote Excel, which is a universal use ballot marking device that um, that um, will deny voters the right to, to ever vote again in any district that it's until it's no longer used in our districts will deny the right to vote on hand-marked paper ballots. Everybody in those districts will have to vote through um, through a touch screen. And we understand that the those on the board of elections who might be inclined to vote against it, such as Democratic um, Commissioner Doug Kellner, who was key in winning hand-marked paper ballots in New York State um, back after HAVA, um, he, he's basically told us we can't really listen to any but technical arguments. So you've got to go through New York state election law and give us the statutes that this machine um, violates. And you've got to go through the details of how it works and show us why it violates the regulations for certifying voting machines. So CVINY has been doing a lot of technical work, getting letters from a lot of people with technical expertise, as has smart smart election, smart legislation, Lulu Freistat. So um, Lulu's uh, strategy adding to that, because ESNS collected about uh, 48 pages of endorsements for their voting machine, um, Lulu has been recruiting groups all over the state to sign on to a letter against the um, against the Express Vote Excel that's a little more easily understood than our very our very technical analyses. It's not really a DRE. It's not really, by definition, a, an optical scanner. Therefore, it shouldn't have been certified under the regulations for optical scanners or DREs, et cetera. So anyway, so if you want to, I, I would think if you want to sign on, you want to add one more voice to the numbers game, I put Lulu's um, sign-on letter in the chat. But we think there is evidence that we're making some headway on the technical arguments. We may be able to defeat it, but we'll know Wednesday afternoon whether we've lost, whether some venues are going to lose handmark paper ballots. If the thing is certified, we're going to have battles in, you know, 62 counties in the state to get them not to buy it. But it's an uphill battle because ESNS has been, you know, going back over a decade, they were hiring election commissioners as consultants and flying them to Las Vegas and stuff. They had to stop that, but nonetheless, the ties have been created. Okay. So anyway, uh, one more thing. I did want to talk for a moment, if I may, about um, a concern that we have. Oh yeah, then there's redistricting. Uh, yeah. It looked... we. There is an order for the, there was a lower court order to redraw the district lines again in New York, which potentially can give Democrats a leg up against the Republicans who won because of the very um, partisan, I would say, redistricting that was done last time that ad added five new Republicans to the, to the um, co Congress. Uh, the, 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 there's been an order from one court 
to redraw again, and the GOP is appealing that. So we see, again, it'll depend on what happens in the appeals court, whether we're going to get a fairer district or whether we're going to be stuck with ones that really now favor Republicans. And finally, on the corruption front, I want to cite what's going on in Westchester, which is a very popular and very good uh, administrator who has been the um, Westchester County Executive, um, George Latimer, has been recruited by um, interests who are highly identified with the state of Israel, right or wrong, whatever it becomes. First, he passed a First, he decided that we would it would be Westchester County um, law to accept the IHRA definition of anti-Semitism, which has examples that essentially make it quasi illegal to criticize the state of Israel. And he wouldn't listen to our crit critiques of that. And now he's being put up to run against um, Congressman Jamal Bowman. So he says he's considering it. A lot of progressives have been writing letters to him saying, don't do that, please. Don't divide the African-American community from the Jewish community that way. Don't, um, don't let us lose a progressive congressman. So it's kind of ironic while the democratic socialists are debating whether Jamal Bowman is um, pro-Palestinian enough and whether it was a terrible sin that he voted for the for arms for Israel. Um, he, you know, most progressives now are really quite desperately defending his um his position. His his district has been has make makes him his new district now, if it stays this way, makes him more vulnerable because he's lost a lot of his Okay. base in the Bronx, and now he's all Westchester. So we're okay. very concerned about the, that. Uh, thank yeah. you, Julie. Thank you for the excursion <laughs> through New York. We, we, we definitely- <laughs> A little tour of New York, New York politics yeah, from Julie's point of, of view. Anyway, um, keep your fingers crossed on Wednesday for us to what, keep What is the date? Is it ballots. this Wednesday or next Wednesday? This coming Wednesday, August 2nd. After the meeting at 12 noon, there'll be a Board of Elections meeting, and it will decide. There are hints that they might decide against it, but there's no knowing until after the meeting. Okay, so you'll you'll come back and give us a. Uh, oh, report. you'll hear from me. Yeah, okay. yeah. Okay. And Rachel, Thanks. you'll come back and give us the report from uh, Ohio. Um, and by by which time, uh, well, it's it's emblematic that you 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 could have both pot and abortion on the same ballot. Um, it's too bad it's twenty three instead of twenty four. But that's the way it goes, and uh, we will definitely want to keep uh, track of the uh, the Senate race. Uh, uh, Sherrod Brown is one of the few U.S. senators I know personally, and uh, he's he's as good as they get. I mean, I, I if uh, if he uh, if Biden ever stepped down or wound up not running, uh, we're going to get Gavin Newsom in there in the mix along with Kamala Harris, but. Uh, uh, overwhelmingly over anybody, uh, I would support uh, uh, Sherrod Brown. Um, um, so we'll see what happens there. Okay, uh, does anybody want to ask anything of Julie or, or Rachel about Ohio or um, uh, uh, New York? Um, uh, Wendy and then Mary. Mary, you had your hand up, but I, I think you wanted to talk about an engineering issue. Is that right? Then we can go to Wendy and Justin. 
Yeah. Um, I'm just going to rewind a little bit. And we're going to go to PG&E and all their deaths and everything else. I'm really amazed that attorneys for the people in regards to this dilemma that we have down there with PG&E, that we don't argue, okay, when it comes to CEOs, CEOs are protected because it's a corporation. The CEOs get to get away with murder constantly. The only people that really get punished are the guys down on the bottom floor. So I ask you, hypothetically, aren't they no different than a guy that would be sitting in a car outside of a bank? Okay, he didn't think the guys were going to go in there and shoot everybody up in the bank and still and and do what they did, but he's still guilty by association. How are they any different than the getaway driver? I really don't see how they're any different. And they should serve prison time for life for the deaths that they have caused based off of the fact that they are guilty by association. Just because they're in the getaway car doesn't excuse them from the act that created the death of an innocent human being. Thank you. Right. And that's, yeah, and that's called felony murder and conspiracy. And you're absolutely right. Those, you are guilty um, and liable for the crimes that are committed in your name or in cooperation with you, or if you're part of an enterprise that's led to the deaths, uh, wrongful deaths of uh, innocent people. Yes, right. and, and I just want to say, can I do one thing? Yeah, go ahead. I think that we as citizens to raise money for all these different things that we're doing. It would be really neat if we created decks of cards that have the world people's most wanted. And we have the court one deck of cards that has all the corporations that have been poisoning the world and how many deaths they've caused and how much the company's worth. And like they like the US government did for the all the bin Laden Desert Storm stuff. Instead, we have it for all the people of crimes against humanity, crimes against the environment, and sell these decks to promote money for our for our causes. Well, the question becomes. How does how do we have corporate personhood, but they're not liable? You know, that's that's where we say case. that they are guilty by association. Oh, I'm just a driver. I didn't shoot the gun. Right, right, right. Yeah. Well, well, okay, the slogan is we'll know we'll know corporations are people when Texas executes one. But you know <laughs> how, how how is it that these guys claim corporate personhood and then never take responsibility, as you say? For things like the the forest fires and the uh, the explosion in San Bruno, we yeah, have that's... rash. I will say, uh, two two executives in South Carolina have gone to prison for the massive fraud at the VC Summer Nuclear Plant, uh, where they they blew ten billion dollars building two reactors that will never open. And I want to say one thing very very quick. Uh, there's a net. Very interesting uh, documentary on Netflix about the, the space uh, telescope, the, the Webb telescope. And the, the Webb telescope burned through $10 billion, but they actually got it out there. And it's the same cost. And they had congressional hearings about how much money they were spending. And, you know, people were pissed, $10 billion. But don't, there's been no congressional hearing on BC Summer, which blew $10 billion. At least we got a satellite, a, a telescope. 
for $10 billion. And, and for $10 billion at BC Summer, we got two reactors that are never gonna open. So there, there you go. Very interesting, Mary. Thank you for that. Uh, Wendy, I think you were next. And then uh, Justin, Jeffrey, David. Thank you. Um, yeah, I have plenty more to say on, on Florida after the stack, if um, if you'd like to hear more. Yeah, go ahead, update, put Florida in the, the quickly uh, in the same kind of discussion with uh, as Ohio and New York. Thank you. Yeah, because I did have a kind of a question to ask um, Rachel. And just a quick point I want to make because everyone's talking about this, um, just basically like finance reform in a sense, we'll just call it that. Um, the idea has come up lately of just having ballot initiatives and putting campaign finance reform into the power of the states, which is maybe an idea people in this fall want to play with. I thought it was a really great idea instead of trying to do it at the national level where it's obviously not going to happen. So Rachel, um, here in Florida, like Harvey said, I've been, I'm a paid petitioner because like exactly like what you said before, we we have actually a 60%, they're trying to get a 67% supermajority. And so you're right. I mean, without paid petitioners, things just don't get on the ballot. And we need close to a million. We need over 900,000 signatures. Um, our amendment has pretty quickly gotten um, 500,000 in just a couple of months. And we actually got paused for August. Um, and some people think it has to do with finances, um, other states, the heat. What I am seeing, and I'm wondering if you're seeing it in, in Ohio, I have not gone a single day and I've been working every day up until last week um, without being called murderer, without being called baby killer, without just being like verbally attacked, like we were seeing in the news years ago with, you know, the, the abortion clinics. I mean, just like, I just keep saying religion is a hell of a drug. I mean, people like, I mean, all I'm doing is asking them to sign a petition to let the voters decide if women and their doctors have the right to choose in an emergency situation cases of rape. In Florida, you have to show documentation if you were raped to prove that you were raped in order to have access. I mean, it's it's just so insane. And people get like, I mean, I just hear I'm a Christian. I like, well, I, I don't know that, that Jesus would leave the woman there to die when she's suffering and the pregnancy is not viable. I'm just wondering if you're seeing a lot of that same pushback with just that religious fanaticism and that just immediate reactionary, very aggressive. I mean, I can't even explain like, it's mind boggling what I'm seeing. So I'm wondering your temperature check on what's going there. Thank you. And just sending you so much love and support. First of all, holy crap. <laughs> That's thank you. Wild. Oh my gosh. And thank you for doing that work. It is, we're seeing that like the people who are passionately in support of issue one, the 60% are using abortion as their reasoning. Uh, cause you know, we've been asking people like, why would you ever vote to take away your own power to impact the constitution? And the response we get the most is because this is how we stop the murderers from killing babies. So like the people who oppose issue one definitely are that way. Thankfully so far, and the polls are showing this too, Ohioans as a majority seem to support abortion rights, um, at least enough that it's let the person decide for themselves. Um, and that message, the freedom message seems to be doing really well, but the people who are opposed to abortion are definitely that, that passionate, you know, we've got people protesting outside the abortion clinics and all of that, but man, that is, I'm just yeah. sending you lots of love. Thank you <laughs> well, so much. We, we, were, we had a petition in Ohio to um, repeal 
the bailout of the nuclear plant and signature gatherers were physically assaulted. Yes, they were. Yep. By, by teams, three, three and four, you know, big guys would surround a petition gatherer. That, that was to repeal a nuclear bailout. So, you know, I mean, it's, it's pretty amazing. So uh, unreal. Okay, thank you for that, Wendy. Is there anything you want to add before I go to Justin here? Um, it's okay. I can um come back, but I will say like there was a, a couple like there was one guy that tried like he he tried to hit me with the shopping cart, and I'm just seeing I'm seeing a lot of like he came right at me too. It was like pretty um disturbing, but I am seeing it in like different pockets. So it's like I'm finding the right places to go where people are really you know they're like f yeah like you know like I'll get some good reactions, and I'm just seeing in different neighborhoods and different areas. So, um, so just trying to stay positive with it and just keep the faith and just know that there's enough of us out there. And um, I'm just sending love back to you as well, because you're doing amazing work and we appreciate it. And thank you, Harvey, for the platform. Okay, no problem. Uh, I, we're getting to the top of the hour. We'll, we'll go over 10 minutes or so, if that's all right, Steve, uh, or, or Wendy, if you can run the show here, but, or Myla, but uh, as I say, we won't meet next week. We will the week after. For August uh, through Labor Day, we're going to go every other week. So next week, we will not meet, and we will meet in two weeks. Uh, Justin, Jeffrey, David. So I want to remind those who are doing organizing work that it's not always what you see, but what you don't see that counts. Uh, one of the big things back in 2020 between Biden and Trump is that everybody was making a lot of noise about how Trump had all these massive, massive rallies, and that meant that he must be the president. but you know, actually people who didn't necessarily show up to rallies, partly because Biden didn't hold them, uh, outvoted people for Trump. So, uh, Rachel, you've got a, a lot going for you as you follow your polls. Uh, one of the people that I want to bring up as uh, a good guy to check notes with is Brian Marcus Steinberg out of Michigan. Uh, he has been successful at a number of ballot initiatives, everything from independent redistricting to medical or uh, sorry, recreationally even marijuana. Um, and his uh, number one thing about all of that is, uh, yes, get your polling numbers up uh, for sure. Uh, and then the uh, second thing about all of that that I wanted to bring up is uh, you know, push as hard as you can to make the uh, legislature or, who, or the elections officials notify everybody in every channel that's possible. Uh, otherwise, uh, you know, if they fail to plan, they plan to fail, right? And a ballot initiative is a one vote margin. So 100% of voters need to be contacted. Uh, and it's, it shouldn't just be you guys, right? The, the state has their own responsibility to do that kind of thing. Thank you for that. Um, Jeffrey, very quickly, please, one question. And then David Guran. I don't think we've heard from you before, David. I actually had two for her. One yeah, about abortion ahead, and one about, the, one about the person who's ready to legally. So is he really? How is how is someone? He's violating the Hatch Act. He's, he's an elected official, and he's using his public office uh, in a way, ways that are very clearly illegal to run for uh, a public office. Is that a fair that's assessment, that's Rachel? Yeah, that's with Frank LaRose. There are definitely, I am not a lawyer, but there are definitely arguments that he is running illegally because he has been using his office, his elected office, in a place where he's supposed to be running a nonpartisan, non-biased election 
uh, to support one issue as a candidate for the U.S. Senate on a partisan platform. Right. And the other one, Jeffrey, was what? Oh, oh yeah, you're you're mute. You're mute. Oh yeah, thanks for unmuting me. I was gonna say, if I was gonna first say, and to answer that first question, if that's if that's the case, why why hasn't he been arrested yet for that? And then second, and second, and for the as for the abortion, I think uh, I think to make the case for abortion, I think it could help help uh, reduce the number one threat to threat to planet Earth, which is overpopulation. If we do abortions, especially especially considering some don't want some are forced. Some are force force raped and uh, give give it right. inje- injection and all that you know that kind of stuff. Well, Do you think that? I think we have found um, and, and and that really um, scientifically and however else, the one reliable, uh, effective method of reducing uh, population growth is the empowerment of women, where women ha- are, have more income, education and political power are the birth rate drops without any programs whatsoever. Women in general don't want a ton of kids. They like like one or two or maybe three, but generally when women are, are have um, a status and an education and income, population drops. Uh, even in Catholic countries, that happens. So there you go. Um, uh, David Guran. Yes, I have a question for for Rachel. Um, Or two questions, actually. Uh, I'm from Akron, Ohio. And um, do you have any news on the legal or the legal um, uh, proceedings about uh, gerrymandering in Ohio um, after the SCOTUS decision in Alabama on gerrymandering? And the second question, um, have you heard of any possible criminal charges yet for the CEO of First Energy, or the we was the past CEO, and uh, the Public Utility Commission um, a person, um, uh, which I forget his name, uh, for the bribery and scandal. Sam Randazzo. Um, um, so I'll answer the second one first. We are hopeful. There hasn't been anything yet, but we're hopeful that there's going to be more arrests in the HB6 scandal because the prosecutor said that um, householder going to prison was the end of act one. Well, don't mind my cat, uh, said the end of act one, which w- made me hopeful. So we'll see, but we haven't seen anything yet. Um, but the hope would be that folks from actually first energy, which was doing the bribing would end up caught up in this mm-hmm. as well. Um, and then gerrymandering is, there are definitely going to be people looking at that. We start our, uh, redistricting process again, this coming it's starting in september of this year because ohio did not pass 10-year maps so we have to start redistricting again in the next couple of weeks when the legislature gets back um and the concern this time around is that we still have the illegally elected legislature and the supreme court is now run by a supermajority of republicans as well so the concern is that we're just going to have gerrymandered maps and no one will stop them. Uh, so I'm sure there will be people looking at federal angles because that might be until next year when we can try and put an amendment on the ballot to end gerrymandering and actually have penalties this time around for folks who break the law. Well, Ohio a- has passed two, two. gerrymandering uh, referenda. Yes. It had a Supreme Court headed by a Republican 
uh, with a Republican majority actually, re require the Ohio legislature to draw fair maps, and it refused to do it. And, uh, and there was nothing anybody seemed to be able to do about it. And uh, we've seen the same thing now in Alabama, where the state Supreme Court, upheld by the, the feds, uh, was required to draw maps that included two black majority districts, and they refused to do it. So, you know, I mean, uh, where do we go from here on that? And uh, you referred, um, um, David, to First Energy. Not everybody might know, but uh, First Energy is the shell corporation that owns uh, Perry and, the Perry and David Special nuclear plants. And they're the ones who did the bribes to get a billion dollar bailout from the Ohio legislature. And their former president, Chuck Jones, was totally immersed in that, as was the uh, chair of the Public Utilities Commission, Sam Randazzo, who I've actually met a number of times. And, um, um, you know, Sam has not been charged, although he took at least $4 million uh, illegally. And um, Chuck Jones is retired now, and um, uh, these guys aren't going, uh, you know, we all got our our juices going because they put um, uh, uh, the Speaker of the Ohio House, Larry Householder, uh, they convicted him. But, you know, is he still in jail or is he out on bail? Rachel, do you know? Is Larry Householder out on bail? No, he is in jail. Oh, fantastic. Well, there you go. I, you know, I don't often root for people to go to jail, but this guy, you know, really. Yeah, and they convicted him and he got the full 20 year sentence. So now where it's going to be interesting to see how long of that he actually serves. Well, if you if you want to um, familiar yourself, anybody on, on the call with a guy who's totally out of touch, read um, Larry Householder's plea with the judge in his sentencing uh, situation. I mean, this guy. This guy has, he just completely insulted everybody, has no clue when he's allegedly asking the governor to reduce, uh, the, the judge to reduce his sentence. I mean, mind boggling what he had to say. Uh, very, very interesting. Thank you, David. Uh, for, and you know, uh, your fellow, what is it? What do you call somebody for an Akron? An Akronian? <laughs> uh, uh, Dave Saltman has been on the calls as well. I don't know if you guys know each other. Um, uh, Wendy, did you want to chime in here? Thank you. Um, yeah, I had one quick point about the abortion thing, and I want to say something about the gerrymandering. Um, just a quick point about the Florida. I put it in the chat. I'm actually getting a lot of pro-lifers and right-wingers signing because they feel like DeSantis has gone too far. So I do want to throw that in there that um, that's, that's part of it. Um, for gerrymandering, at, again, Florida, Ohio, sister states, um, we have uh, 20 Republican districts and eight Democratic districts, as um, I've mentioned in previous shows, because the Rep the Democrats didn't really um, push back when DeSantis made his own maps, very similar to what happened in Ohio. And I just read an article that I'll put in the chat in a minute, because I am not as good at multitasking as Rachel seems to be. <laughs> I, will, um, I read an article that the Republicans are trying to consolidate our courts, our circuit courts. 
And what that'll essentially do is not only reduce the access. So like say people in Key West will have to try travel almost 200 miles or 150 miles to Miami if they have a court date, but it'll create more Republican, um, more right-wing, more conservative courts and just less courts. So it's just something I like, if it's happening here, I, it's just, we set precedent. So it's something to to look out for. And it's kind of frightening because um, just, I, I don't even have to tell you. <laughs> with, right. um, well, less, less courts go right along there with, with less uh, drop boxes for ballots and less places to vote. And, you know, it's part of the same game. These guys, remember, the, the thing that Hitler hated even more than Jews was democracy. That's what they, these guys really, really don't like. And, um, and that's all, all part of the, the, this referendum push and the, the, the court of abolition push and uh, the, the uh, ballot places push. You know, it's all the same hate, hateful uh, attitude towards democracy. Uh, somebody had a hand. Um, maybe it was you, Wendy. Okay. Uh, does, it was oh, Steve, uh, and now Dorothy. Dorothy, go ahead, Dorothy. Oh, uh, Dorothy, right. Let's hear it, Dorothy. Okay. Dorothy Reich, are you unmuted? Wait, there you go. So I was listening to, um, to John Nichols today, and um, you know, we, have, we have to remember that when this country was founded, not everybody was supposed to vote. Right. This is a new idea that everyone is supposed to vote. When John Nichols came to the Progressive Caucus um, to talk to us, he had everybody stand up. 600 people stood up. And then he would say, sit down if you're not this. Sit down if you're not that. Sit down if you're not this. And by the time he was done, there was only one person of those 600 people who would have been allowed to vote. Ted Vale, who was a white male Whose parents came, whose family came over to Mayflower, who owned property, and he was the only one of the whole audience of the Progressive Caucus who would have been allowed to vote when the when they had the first when, under the Constitution when it was first drawn up. So all this, well, uh, I just we just have to keep this in mind. Did he own slaves? That's the real question. Well, um, didn't you didn't have you could own slaves and, and vote, or you didn't have to own slaves and vote, but right. you had to be white. Male Protestant landowner, right? With the same amount, you know, with, with, had to have property. Yep, absolutely. Okay, anybody else? So anybody yeah, else you have fire? Energy Energy Harbor just got sold to Vistra in Texas. Vistra fought HB six when it was being the referendum on HB six, or <laughs> fought for the referendum to get rid of it. I guess. But anyway, the article, I'll put it in the chat. It's kind of getting late. Okay. Um, yes, it is. And you, you want to go. So um, everybody, I, we did have, I do have a piece up today at truthout.org on nuclear power. I, uh, uh, Dennis Bernstein has a show. He's probably on the air now. I, oh, no, he's getting up for that one. Um, so um, uh, we will not meet next week, August 6th. Enjoy your Hiroshima day. Uh, we will have Rachel back to report uh, on August, uh, what will that be, the 14th uh, to, uh, the, it's August 7th, we, we would meet next week, we won't. Uh, August 14th, Rachel, you'll come back. Uh, we'll see if your hair is still standing on end. We'll and, see. Uh, <laughs> and we'll see what happened in Ohio. It's, it's so totally outrageous 
that you could about have a ballot initiative scheduled to pass or fail on a 50% vote, demanding that future ballot in initiatives come with a 60% vote. I mean, that's just, that, that's not, that's unconscionable among yep. some adults. It, re it reminds me why I left Ohio. I won't be singing why, oh, why, oh, why, oh, did I ever leave Ohio. That, that, that's a clear explanation. Okay, anybody else? All right, thank you so much. Thank you, Steve, for staying over. And um, uh, Wendy, for your great reports, everybody. And th the guy who, who presented on generating power from your pipes, that's phenomenal, really. Um, but you know, remember, if you can generate electric power by flushing your toilet, that's a, that's a selling point. That we, no did, we did have a guy from Ohio who was a plumber that couldn't understand the physics behind that. But uh, I told him to get back with us. Maybe we should put him on. <laughs> All right, you guys. Uh, everybody, we'll see you in two weeks. Uh, thank you so much. Well, you. Wendy and, and Dorothy, do you want to make final last statements real quick? Um, thank you. Uh, just for the uh, the abortion issue, for anyone having the talks with people, um, there was a, like, first of all, I just wonder how many people have actually adopted children because my mom worked in foster care. I saw the kids that were wards of the state and the suffering that they went through. Um, but there was also a study done um, 15 years after Roe versus Wade was passed, and it showed a dramatic reduction in crime rates because of the less um, unwanted children that are out there. So ultimately, we need to focus on the kids that are already in um, custody we'll say, and um, and help them out and make sure that the mothers and the expecting mothers and all the kids that are in schools that are not getting their lunches are taken care of and and really be what they want to call themselves, or we can call ourselves Christians as, and feeding each other and taking care of each other. So I just want to say that. Thank you very well, much. Yes, okay. And, and Ron DeSantis, of course, would uh, have him go back into slavery so they can pick up some skills. Um, uh, all right, <laughs> uh, David, uh, I can't resist giving a last word to a guy from Akron. Go ahead. David. Yeah. David Gurren, did you have your hand up? <laughs> Thanks. I'm, I'm actually the person that, yeah. Uh, can you hear me? Yeah. Yeah. Okay. Uh, so I'm actually the person that uh, responded about, about that uh, water turbine in the, in the pipe. Um, I'm a, an operator at a, at a for municipality here in, in Ohio. I'm also a chemist by training, but anyway, um, yeah, I mean, there's very little excess energy within the system. Um, you might get some energy out of it, but basically the energy you put in to pump the water, to get it up into the water towers and into two people uh, is from the pumps and that you know, that's from electricity. So well, there's very, very little excess energy, and um, uh, well, and then then also, but uh, in terms of waste, um, there's really very little energy you can get off from what. Well, we'll from, have you back. Uh, from come there. back in two weeks, and and we'll discuss it. All right. Yep. Okay. Yeah. All right. It's, it's it, all right, thank he's you, obviously everybody. got some success with all the facilities he's put systems into. So, and Dorothy and yeah. Justin. Do you want to go ahead? Thanks, David. It's an entrepreneur. We'll see. Yeah, we'll come back in two weeks <laughs> right. and, and we'll see what we got to say. Um, uh, okay, I think we need to go. Justin, Jeffrey, if you can hold it for a couple of weeks, uh, we'll be back. And uh, thank you, Steve and, and Wendy and everybody for the engineering. And we're way over time now. Everybody, 
40 people still on the call. Fantastic. Go out, go to the beach. Next week, you're all required to go to the beach. So have a good one, and we'll see you on uh, uh, Monday, uh, August 14th. No can, need to can we just let Dorothy announce the, that Steve Dawson? Oh, yes. Dorothy, go ahead and announce your event. Wait just a second. I have to unmute Dorothy. I hit the wrong button and fell off the whole thing. Yeah, I just want to say that for everybody who is in California or can get to California, the event is definitely on with Steve Donziger. It's going to be beautiful. Every My place is looking spectacular. Beautiful green lawn, shade, beautiful deck with, with big views, and Steve Donziger. Also, Howie Klein will be there, and, um, and Susie Shannon are also getting awards. So it should be quite a crowd and uh, a big What's love fest. What's the date? Hmm? The date. What? what is September the date? 9th. September 9th. Um, free valet parking, but you have to pay to get in. Please carpool if you can, because uh, parking's limited up there. We don't want to have to take your cars too far away to park them. Uh, but it's... It's looking great. I got my friend who's helping me with the party planning. So it's going to be a little more lavish than usual. And everything is really spiffed up the there. And, and Steve's very excited. And uh, Ted Lou will be there. We all like to see Ted Lou. So he is definitely. We'll see you September 9th. And we'll see you again uh, next in two weeks, August 14th. Thank you, right. everybody. You gotta respect Steve. We'll see you next week in two weeks. Take and shut the Apple Canyon. I want to know I can shut the Apple Canyon by flushing my toilet. That would be good. Oh, somebody put up a satellite. They said it's a big satellite now that can get races and can power the whole world or something. It was a big inform comment this morning. I sent it out. All right. They look, you know, then they power the world. The satellites. Right. You know, I'll fit it with the uh, Can I say something real quick?